Do 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 da 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 donut box. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Donut Box, where we unbox stories and talk about things we usually don't talk about. And today, it's gonna be about trauma, grief, and death. Here's the thing. A lot of you probably don't know this, but I actually lost my mom when I was 12 years old because she had breast cancer. I don't share about it, I don't talk about it, and I think that's a big reason why the grieving process was hard and I'm only processing things now. And I think we have to be a little bit more open and allowing ourselves to grieve and talk about this because it really helps the process. And we are gonna dive in a lot more deeper into this with our guest today. So I hope you are strapping in and you're ready to unbox this story. Today's guest is one of the pioneer members of the HEAL program. She has the most big sister energy ever. She's a writer, a teacher, and she also created spaces for writers and non-writers to express themselves from her programs like Down to Feel and also Line Breaks. Everybody, let's sprinkle some love to Isa Garcia. Hi, Isa! Hi, Joe. Thank you so much. What an honor to be here. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because every time we had our sessions, you always had this like insights, these amazing insights. And that's why I'm so excited to chat with you and talk with you for this. Let's get it. Let's get to it. Our conversation is going to be a little bit heavy in some ways, but you talked a lot about grief in your content. And also you talked about it in our sessions, grief, coping, coming from someone who also lost a parent in their lifetime. Let's unbox that. So let's start with what was or was your relationship with your family and your dad like? It's interesting because I think when someone passes away, we have a tendency to kind of elevate who they were. And I've tried really hard to remember that my dad, you know, he was an imperfect father. He was a person and our relationship was not hallmark daddy-daughter type, but I always felt very loved by my father. I think I really felt supported by him. What was interesting with him is he was such a unique person and he never tried to mold any of us to be like him. Like He was so happy and excited for us to carve out our own paths or do our own thing. I would say we were close, but we were also very different. We had different belief systems or different ideas on certain things. But at the end of the day, I was so lucky to know for sure that he loved me and that he supported me. And yeah, I think that I would say overall, we were really close. And so the loss of my father was so difficult to wrap my head around it. Was it sudden or did he have something that you kind of... Down the line, you would see that, okay, I might lose my dad coming soon. My father was 69 when he passed away. He had diabetes and we knew that it wasn't great, but he was also not bedridden. Still lively, still up and up. Yeah. He had actually just come from traveling. And so when he passed away in January 2020, he was sick, like he had a fever, but it wasn't the type of sickness where we thought he would actually go. So what happened was that his kidneys, because of his diabetes, had begun to slowly shut down. And so the coroner said it was basically renal failure. Oh, okay. Yeah, because diabetes really impacts like all of your arteries, all of because of the sugar. So it really does impact 
the different parts, cholesterol-wise and kidney-wise. But there was like never any other indication for renal failure before that. We knew that his kidneys weren't doing great. I think that the like their functionality as per the doctor was they were low. So we knew that, you know, at some point they would fail. We just didn't know it would happen at that particular point. And, you know, he died suddenly. In fact, we don't know what time he passed away, but they just found him slumped over. Oh, this was at home? At home, yeah. So we found him gone. So there was really no time to say goodbye. It was all so unexpected. All death, I think, is traumatic. And I think if you experience it at the point where you weren't expecting it to happen, that is also a big trauma in itself. That's actually what my sisters and I were talking about the other day because our mom passed in like 2009 because she had breast cancer. But the thing with that is we kind of expected it in a way, right? Because you could see how it was affecting her health and you could see the process. Of course, as a kid, I thought like, oh, my parents are never going to die. So that never really like stuck with me. But it was something that, you know, we kind of braced ourselves for, which is different with something that's like, boom, it happens out of the blue and you're just like left kind of wondering what happened in that instance, right? How was it for you as soon as you found out? Well, first of all, I want to say, you know, Joe, throughout our time in Heal, I actually never knew about your mom. Like I never knew that you lost a parent. I'm also really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like there's a lot also for me to learn from you and what your experience with grief was like. But for me, I was not home at the time. So I don't live with my family. They live in the South. So I currently live in Tagig. And I was just here. It was 10 p.m. I think I was writing something. I was so nonchalant about everything. And then I got the message from my sister saying that my dad had no more pulse. And so immediately in the fight or flight response, I packed up everything and I drove. At 10 p.m., just like, go. At 10 p.m., mm-hmm. it was really just like, there's no time to lose. I was hoping, I don't know how it was like for you, but because I wasn't physically there, I thought, oh, maybe he lost, you know, maybe his heart stopped for a while, but maybe it came back. Mm. Maybe he's not really dead. They didn't actually say he died or maybe I could still catch him. I think that was the hope was I would still have some time to maybe just just sit with him and say goodbye. So it was so strange because I'm sort of a stranger to death. I mean, I've had grandparents pass away, an aunt and an uncle, but I mean, I think it's so different when it's your parents. So like really close. Yeah, somebody you, really you close. see almost every time you talk to them. Yes. And so, you know, when I got that text, I was in so much disbelief. I was actually so sure that he wasn't dead. And so by the time I arrived, they had called the ambulance already to bring his body to the nearest hospital. So when I got to the hospital and I saw everything, the really my really weird response was I wasn't crying. I was shocked. Mm-hmm. And then I started making jokes. That was really like the first thing I did <laughs> when I saw his body and I saw my family was I, I don't even remember what the joke was, but I just know that it was joke after joke because I think my system could not handle it. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> comprehend with the idea that this person is gone forever. So we're going to try to soften the mm-hmm. moment with humor. Mm-hmm. Are you usually like that? Like in general, do you tend to make lots of jokes or was it like a very random experience where suddenly you were, <laughs> you were making all of these jokes? 
I wouldn't say I'm a comedian. Yeah. I'm lighthearted. Mm-hmm. I think that particular moment, it was just really my my initial defense mechanism. Actually, I'm so curious with you when your mom passed away, were you there? And what was your first initial response to that loss? When you mentioned that, that you weren't there, because the same for me, but it's a little bit different because I was 12 when this happened. So, you know, when you're a kid, you really think my parents are going to live forever. Like they're going to be 110 and we're all going to be so old. And so when it happened for me, because my mom was in and out of the hospital a lot. And then when I was younger, I was in school. So it was like 10 a.m., I think. And then my sister's Yaya came and then she was like, okay, your mom went back to the hospital. They're asking if you want to go there. And then I was like, it's okay. I'll just see her when she comes back. Because I was like, that's fine. It's okay. It it happens a lot. It'll be fine. I'll just see her when they get discharged. And then that afternoon at 1 p.m. And apparently all of my sisters had gone to the hospital, except for my youngest sister, because she was like six. And then they came 1 p.m. to school. My teacher called me. I went to the car. And then she had the wristband. And then they were crying. And I was like, what happened? And I was like, why? I, I don't understand, right? Oh my gosh. No, you said, why did you make me cry? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> no. Okay, we can cry together. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I tend to not cry, like, at all in general. And so, like, it's always weird for me when I cry. But anyways, so it was really just, like, I knew already, they never really told me, but it was when I saw the hospital band on my sister's arm that I was like, I just knew what happened. I don't know anything else. A lot of my childhood, I don't remember. This is just the one of those one instances that I remember so clearly, but I feel like trauma hit and I don't remember anything else that happened in my life. Especially given the fact that you were so young, you were at that age, I think, where an event like this like a major thing yeah it's like you can't really process it but you can also process it so it was really weird let's go into the initial thing happened we found out what else happened for you and how did your family respond as well i think we all had different ways of coping and you know, we all loved our dad. He was such a character and he was so he was so alive as a person. My dad loved art. He loved music. He was creative and he was funny. And so, you know, the absence of him in our home was so obvious. Like it was so you could feel it. You could just really feel that absence. And I can't really speak for my siblings or my mom in terms of their interior journey. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, how many are you in your family? How many siblings do you have? There are three of us. I'm the youngest. So Ah, I also had a very specific relationship with my dad because I am the youngest. My dad really adored me. I think in that way that the bunso Mm -hmm. or the baby is always uh, like looked at fondly. I'm always seen as like the sweet young baby girl, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) he was particularly affectionate with me. And so when he died... I always knew that I would witness the death of my father. I mean, I always knew that in my lifetime it was going to happen. I was I was probably not going to outlive him. However, I didn't imagine how big the impact would be. I didn't imagine how much of a pillar he is in my life. So the week after he died, my mindset was, oh, I'm just going to go back to normal. Like, okay, my dad died. 
So I just went back mm. to work. You know, I just started trying to not rebuild even. I just I was just trying to get back the life that I had before he died. And I was getting frustrated because I realized that I couldn't. I wasn't the same person anymore. My life was not the same. And I think to make things even worse, he died in January of 2020. And in March, the pandemic hit. Oh, that was before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. <laughs> okay. So that year was me trying to cope and deal with all these multiple massive changes. And I didn't know how. I didn't realize that I'm terrible with change. <laughs> and I didn't realize that all of these things happening at once would completely unhinge me. And it showed up in my emotional life. And it showed up in how I consumed food. And it showed up in how I took care of myself. And all of these other factors. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's true. Like, there's this big thing. And then another big thing, you can't even cope properly because you also get isolated by yourself. So there's, like, all of these things that happen. Let's talk about grief because you were going through that process. Do you feel like the five stages of grief, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, do you think that's something that you went through or are still going through right now? I believe in the five stages of grief. I don't know if I went through everything. I know that I started out with denial for sure. My anger wasn't really at life or God or the world. I think my anger was because I felt so lonely. I think that's what a lot of people don't know about grief is that it forces you into this place where only you understand what you're feeling because only you had that relationship with the person who passed away. And, you know, I had friends who would reach out and I had a lot of people express so much support, so much love, but I felt angry because I knew that they would never understand. Even if they tried, they would never understand mm -hmm. what was happening to me. And I couldn't even find the words to articulate what was happening to me. So... Yeah, bargaining and depression weren't really things that I fell into, but I definitely know that at this point, two years later, we have arrived at acceptance. <laughs> There's there. acceptance. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. It does happen, but I don't think it happens in the order that we think it does. Yeah. And I also don't think that it happens within a specific time frame. I think it happens years after. Because as you were talking and as I was listing down these questions, I was asking it to myself as well. Did I go through that? Like, parang, I don't remember any instances of me going through that. Probably denial because I was younger. But for me, I feel like anger is something that's happening for me right now or bargaining. Because recently, my sister was diagnosed, right? With, she was diagnosed with cancer. And because what I remember so much about my mom having breast cancer was that I was a kid and how you know how we are with our parents like they're, they're gonna live forever so i'm not gonna spend time with them like i don't know if that's how everybody is but that's how i was when i was a kid because i was like you know we'll have time to play or talk next time something like that i would remember her in her room and then she would like call me and then be like we'll talk later again and so all of that is what i feel right now with my sister because I feel like I have to put all of this energy that I missed out on taking care of my mom into taking care of her. And I've taken it upon myself to do literally everything. The checkups, the chemo, and all of that. And I feel like that's something we don't really get to process in our grief. Or we assume it's all going to be there. But it ends up showing up in so many different random times in your life. Yeah, you know, Joe, I, I do want to say, because I see your life, your instagram stories and i 
So I kind of know what's going on. And I think a lot of things, you are an adult, but you had to grow up a lot in the last few months because of you taking care of your sister. And I think it's amazing. Every time I see your pictures or your stories together, what a good sister. And (laughs) it's so amazing. (laughs) But I also know it's hard to be the caregiver. It's hard to be the caretaker. And because of this traumatic thing happened to you with your mom before, I'm sure. Yeah, it makes sense that the bargaining and anger or whatever, those stages would kind of be retroactive. They're happening now. It'll probably potentially happen to me in the future that the stages I missed out on might come back to me at some point if something triggers it. That's really what makes grief so interesting. It's really non-linear. Mm-hmm. And it's so different for everybody, right? Because you expect that there's just this period of, okay, and then I accept it, but it just hits you so randomly. It's just like, boom. And then you're like, oh my gosh. There's like these moments when you're like, oh, my mom would have liked this, or like your dad would have liked this. And then you just go back into that, ah, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> kind of feeling, right? So much, yes. Mm-hmm. Aside from the loss itself, right? Given that was probably the hardest part, what were some other parts of the process for you or some of the things that you struggled with like was it the constant checking up of people your relationship with your body your work when my dad died and I realized that oh my life is never gonna be the same I am not the same person weirdly and I mean you've gotten to know me through our heal sessions I am genuinely like a light-hearted hopeful person yes but in that season early season of grief there was just a point where nothing seemed to matter. You know, there was that feeling of this person died and everyone I love at some point is going to die. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to have to live through grief again and again. And I think this scared me and this affected me in such a way that my mindset was, I don't need to care about anything. So I started just getting into retail therapy. I just spent on things. <laughs> yeah. What is the point of any? But Uh, You know, a a part of that was also I just started to eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I don't weigh anymore, but I remember weighing myself maybe a month or a few months after my dad died and I had gained seven pounds and I didn't care. And not in a good way of like, oh, my weight doesn't matter. I think it was just I'm going to consume everything, even if it's unhealthy, because nothing matters. And I I remember that's really why by the time I met you in 2021, I had made the decision to come back to my body. But after my dad died and in those months of kind of losing the will to care about myself, I really lost my connection with myself. I did not know myself anymore. And that really scared me as well. That's very interesting because I think that really happens, right? When somebody dies or even if somebody gets sick in your life, you start to question everything. You're like, what does it matter? Why do I have to go to work? Why do I have to do all of these things? It's kind of a little bit throwaway of like, I have to just have fun, just do whatever I want to. And then it starts to kind of hit a little bit. How did you come up from that? Like you said, you'd made a decision to come back to your body. What do you think helped you or led you to get there? I think I'm lucky because not everybody gets to grow up with good parents. And I recognize that, especially as a teacher. And I talk to all these different young people. Not everybody has a loving parent, a supportive parent. I've always known and I've always felt so loved by both my parents. And when my dad died and I did fall into that cycle, the the thought 
that kind of kept me afloat. And the one thing people always said was, you know, your dad is so proud of you. Because he would post a lot on Facebook. He was so proud of his kids. He was so into showing them off. Each of us individually, us, the three of us together. You know, he really thought the world of each of us. And I knew he was not just proud of me for the things I have achieved, but just proud of who I am. Like, he genuinely liked me as a person. And I guess, you know, when after 2020 happened, my thought process was, my dad was so proud of me and my dad really loved me. And what a waste if I don't try to become proud of myself. What a waste if I don't come back and love myself. I think I also wanted to be worthy of that pride. That was the conversation I started having with myself. That if I kept going down the road of despair, I would just become nothing. All the things that made me feel alive, even the privilege to be alive, it would be gone. And I would just be this empty shell of a person. And I think I just knew that that's not what I wanted for myself. That's not what my dad wanted for me. So those were the beginnings of, okay, I got to pick myself back up. First of all, I love that your parents showed that they were proud of you. That is quite rare in the the Asian setting, right? It's like, never hear those words. But also, I love that you mentioned that because I think there's two ways to go around like a loss, either to, well, you kind of went through both, which is kind of like, oh, well, what does it matter? We're all going to die. Just like spend all your money, live your life, things like that. But there's also that, how do I make sure I'm actually living? Because you realize that life is so short and that you don't want to waste those things. And it's like, it's cliche, but it's true. That's just what happens. You realize that you have to make every single moment matter. You have to live up to life yeah. in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. Oh. Did you feel similarly? Because I don't know if after your mom passed away, you were very young. Did you kind of become rebellious? Did you have a I don't care about anything. I have no idea. <laughs> like, there's just some of high school, but I, okay. I don't remember a lot of things. But I do know it now. Like a lot of the things I'm realizing now is that I haven't been living. I wasn't living my life. I don't even know if maybe my disordered eating was connected because it happened in the same year. So maybe it's possibly connected as well. But it was just like recently as I was healing my relationship with my body that I was recognizing, oh, I haven't been living my life. And that was when I kind of woke up in a sense from that. Oh. So let's talk about this a little bit more. Living our life, we're a little bit more in our, you know, sort of trying to live our best life now. But people usually say that grief never leaves, right? It comes in waves. It keeps coming. Some days you are having the best day ever, and then some days it just hits you. Boom. How do you cope with grief when you least expect it? I think, I well, on one hand, it's really helpful to have people or a person that you can try to process your grief with. Especially, I guess for you, it would be your sisters. For me, it would be my siblings and my mom. Because they understand the enormity of that grief. They understand what you lost. Wait, quick question. Are you open with like your family? Like you talk about this openly? Yeah, I think. So we love talking about our dad. We love reminiscing the day he died. I don't know if that's normal for other people. But I think we just love remembering him. So we talk a lot about that experience and how we are now and what things are like for us today. I think if things are particularly hard, I'm grateful that 
I have them because they understand it the most. But on the days, I think that it's just tough. Like recently, I found myself really sad because I realized that whatever milestone I have from now on till I die, my dad will never witness it. Whether I get married or have children or achieve something or migrate, whatever, you know, any big life experience, he will not be there to share that with me. And nothing can change that. And I guess I just sit with it because I've been learning that that's just how grief works. You're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. And it's such an honor, actually, to feel grief because it is indicative of having loved someone or being loved by someone. And so I just sit with it. We all have different outlets. I write. So that kind of also helps me process things. And then I just remind myself that this will pass. Like this sad moment is for now and I'm going to feel it and I'm going to honor it because my dad's death was sad and I shouldn't have to deny that and it will be sad forever. But I also remember that it's just a moment and in the spectrum of life, there's also going to be a lot of amazing moments. So we just sit with that grief a bit. Mm -hmm. I love what you said, where you sit with it because... It's a moment that happens, that feeling is valid, it's there because something happened to you. But also recognizing there are other moments that are happy and amazing and not forgetting about those as well. Because sometimes we tend to just like never look at those moments in our life. I also love that you tend to talk to your family because for my family, we aren't the most open. Now we are a little bit more open, but before we really like super closed off, passive aggressive <laughs> type of behaviors. I think it's because my dad is just not really the talkative person. And then when my mom passed, he was very closed off. So we all kind of just like not going to talk or anything like that. How did you support your mom? Like, how did your mom take it through the journey? And how did that feel for you to watch her go through that? You know, my mom, she's so emotionally resilient, which is not to say it wasn't difficult for her because I'm sure it was. But my mom, I think, is the type who doesn't really show it as much. I mean, I, we've sat down and, you know, I've seen her cry about it, of course. But I think she's also very rooted in her faith. And I guess that helps her a lot. I think, you know, I would show up a lot for my mom by physically showing up because I don't live with her. So I would visit her and see her and spend time with her as the youngest. I think I'm also the most affectionate. So I would just like bombard her with all this affection <laughs> for her. It was helpful to just talk about it a lot, like just to remember a lot. Like even if we've gone through that day that he died probably a hundred times like we're so happy to go back to it again only because that's a core memory that's a shared trauma and it was a terrible day and then we remember all the wonderful like funny silly things about my dad or like family memories that we had yeah just showing up i think just sitting down listening making her laugh when i can with the jokes with <laughs> jokes <laughs> break add the filling add the frosting let's go some quick glazed questions to get to know our guest better are you ready isa i'm ready okay here we go what's your favorite thing about yourself and why i really like that i can laugh at myself even when things are really messy what's your comfort food for the longest time it was fried chicken oh yes i mean like it's solid right what's your favorite fried chicken 
Oh no, Popeyes. Off the bat. Oh, <laughs> I don't know okay. why. Okay. <laughs> What's your ultimate favorite book? Super hard question for anyone who loves to read, but my answer for now is a book called Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller. That's a very intriguing title. <laughs> I love that title. Okay, our most important question. What's your favorite donut flavor? Okay, so Joe, there's this small cafe in Pasig called Molly's, and they have this brown butter donut, and it is the best. It's my favorite. Oh, okay, I'm gonna go there now. <laughs> It's so interesting because when I see your family, I mean, I don't know your relationship with your dad, but when I see your family, like on Instagram, you and your sisters look so close, and like I always assume you have that female energy. Where you talk a lot and you share a lot and it's like sleepovers mm-hmm. every day. So super interesting <laughs> to also hear what you guys are like, and it's nice that maybe slowly that's also perhaps changing a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we do talk. There are sometimes where we talk like really in depth about our emotions, but most of the time it's really like jokes, <laughs> laughing. That's why we're very close, kind of thing. Because my dad is a, a major joker. <laughs> like it's so hard to have a serious conversation in our family. <laughs> like seriously, <laughs> but. Okay, so Asian families who talk and share. Another thing that happens usually in like Asian culture, we have such a hard time talking about grief and death. It's always such a tiptoe topic, right? It's like, oh, how are you feeling? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Understandable, of course. But how do you think we can normalize it, talking about it more? Because unfortunately, death is going to be a constant thing that happens. It's something that is always looming. What do you think we can do, or do you think there's a way for us to kind of talk about it more, open about it more, so that we can process it a little bit, hopefully easier than we usually do? So I think it's up to you and to me, to people who have lost someone. I think it's it's our responsibility, or it's our not obligation, but maybe what we can do is invite people into the conversation of grief and death, because most of the people who Skirt around it are people who haven't experienced it, and they're so scared because they view us maybe, or someone will view me as fragile. They'll be afraid that I'm scared to talk about it, or maybe they're scared that I'll cry or that I'll feel so deeply, and they they won't know what to do, you know. But I think I always tell my friends because sometimes they'll mention like talking about the father, or they'll mention fathers, and they'll look at me and say, "Oh, sorry," and I'll be like, "No, I love this. Like, I love that you're talking about dads. I also love talking. I still love talking about my dad a lot." So I think just inviting them into the conversation. What was really great was when I lost my dad. I knew two friends who also lost their parents, and. It's so unfortunate, but when you lose a parent, you become part of this very exclusive club. <laughs> group. Yeah, right? you become a part of that group, and so I found two friends that I could talk to about it, and they were so accommodating, and they really sat with me, and they really like talked to me about their process, what was grief like for them, and that was really mm-hmm. helpful. And so now, when I, especially the year that my dad died, so many of my friends lost. Parents, or so many people I knew lost parents because of COVID. Oh. So I really sought them out. I would really message them, or I would at least let them know that if they wanted to talk about it, I was there. So just inviting people into the conversation and in the platforms that we have, maybe talking about it. So I write about it more often. I'm more open these days on Instagram or on wherever you find my work. I mention it a lot, and I think even just saying. 
that today I'm sad because I miss my dad. Saying it out loud, letting the community know, letting the public know. I think there's something there that's powerful because, again, it is to say that it's so okay to be sad. Yes, and then that's okay to do that. Like I feel like that's one of the things that made it so hard for me was because it's such a taboo topic, but most importantly, lots of people don't know how to respond and react. So sometimes you're just like, I won't say anything. <laughs> it's okay. I don't want to, I don't want to even say it. Yeah. Like sometimes when people ask me like, Oh, how's your mom and dad? And I'm like, I don't have a mom anymore. <laughs> oh, and then yeah. they're just like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. And then I just like, I don't want to say that anymore. <laughs> it's like, I say my parents. Kind of, so there's always yeah. that. You don't know how the other person will respond. You kind of don't want to go through that awkward thing. Yeah, totally. We should talk about it more because it also keeps a little bit of space open for kind of connecting, but also just being real. Like we we act as if death is not a thing, right? But, But it is. And sometimes we just have to talk about it a little bit. I think like with online culture where people would much rather use their platforms to highlight their successes or their Mm -hmm. travels or things that are beautiful you know of course death sounds so antithetical to all those things but yeah i think the more we talk about it the more we allow ourselves to be human and the more we invite others to be human as well because death is an unfortunate but also expected part of the human experience Mm -hmm. so I love what you said to allow people to be human because that's so important. We always act like we are just photos, we are just videos, but we have so much more that's going on, right? Like you mentioned, from what you might see on my Instagram, you never would have known that I lost a parent or had gone through these because we don't want to share it and that's okay. But I think it's also important to have those spaces to open up about it so that people aren't so scared of it either. True. Because I think that's a big thing. Because we're also afraid, of course, that's normal, to be afraid of losing somebody that you love. But you're also afraid of it because you've never heard anybody talk about it. But once you hear that, you're a little bit less terrified. But you have that understanding. Okay, it's normal. (laughs) Unfortunately, it happens. True, true. (laughs) Just like maybe controversial, but what are your beliefs of the after-death experience? Ooh, interesting. (laughs) So I grew up Christian, and then now I don't know. I've always believed, though, in an afterlife. And when my dad died, it was hard to not imagine that one day we won't reunite. So I'd like to think it's possible that there is a spiritual realm where I will see him again. Maybe that's part of my coping process. It's just that hope and that belief. What are your thoughts on the controversy. I'm honestly not sure either. Because sometimes, you know how they say, like, if somebody dies, like, they're always like, I feel their presence. You know, they're always like, I feel their presence right now. And usually that scares me. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Where? <laughs> you know, like, oh, what do you mean? A lot of my family members have passed already, like, my uncles, my aunts, um, my grandparents. So death wasn't always something that was super new to me. Like you mentioned, there is that you want to believe that there is this place where they are all having fun because it makes it so much easier for you to cope with it. That And if somebody in your family dies or if you die, it will all, they will all be connected. 
I don't know if I believe in reincarnation though, because I do feel like that is something that I kind of believe in <laughs> as well. So does that mean that if my mom has reincarnated, I won't see her soul? Anymore? Right. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's great that you mentioned that. There is that thing that you want to believe in because it makes it easier yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. And we'll never know really. True. You mentioned about writing, right? And using it to help you with your process. How big was it in your grieving process? I always think of myself as more of a creative because I like to try to explore um, other, like other mediums or genres. And I remember the year my dad died, I was really intent on writing. I released a book and then I was intent on creating like an audio book. At this point, I don't know why that was my thought process, but I think at the time, my mindset was if I just keep creating stuff, I will move on. I will feel better. I will purge the grief and the sadness out of my system. But that's not exactly what happened. I think I realized that writing is a tool, but it's not an answer. The answer is really you have to face yourself or you have to own up to where you're at and what you feel. There is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I think he's a psychologist named Bessel van der Kolk. And the point of the book is just to say that when you experience trauma, your body knows and your body remembers and it manifests in different ways. In my case, that trauma kind of forced me or that trauma compelled me to kind of let myself go. So much of my healing journey was learning to come back to myself. And writing was helpful in doing that, but so much of it was also kind of just reframing my mind, going to therapy, reading, being alone, really getting into the core of what was I feeling and what was I experiencing. You mentioned about having to face it, right? Because that's something where we tend to think, okay, I'll just use the scoping mechanism and then I'll be all good. But if you never face it, if you never really address it it's just gonna always be there like you mentioned you were writing trying to process your grief but without actually grieving yeah it's just writing to block it out like to numb yourself in that experience did you write about the whole experience for you the grieving process or were you just writing anything to kind of release energy i was definitely writing about that i mean for a while if i think of 2020 i wrote so much some of it was just about the pandemic and change, but so much of it was about grief. And I think what I was trying to do was I was trying to communicate to people that healing and grieving, it's so lonely and it's so scary because you transform. You become a new person. Sometimes you don't even like the person you're becoming, or sometimes it looks so different from the person that you were. And the pandemic also changed us. So to deal with both the death of a loved one and the many massive changes in the beginning of the lockdown, in the beginning of the pandemic, I felt so lost. I think I was writing in the hopes that I would find myself again in the words. But yeah, ultimately I found that, oh, the only way I can find myself again is to, you know, go through the motions, like have that internal compass and and work through it. And allow yourself to actually feel it. You mentioned a space for anyone who needs to write their shirt out. 
down to feel because I love the words, the the title down to feel because I think that's something we don't allow ourselves to do to feel right. So how did you come up with this and what inspired you to create this space? So down to feel was a column that I had before with the Manila Bulletin. Actually, Joe, so after I did Heal With You, that's when I did Down to Feel. And I think seeing you manage a space and it was so intimate and it was so meaningful. And it was during that time, even I think if you ask anyone who was in Batch 1, like it was such a lifeline for so many of us. Number one, a lot of us hadn't met new people because of the lockdown. Mm -hmm. So it was such a gift. And then it was practical, but it was also a space to kind of talk about what we were feeling and what we were going through. So when I saw you doing that, when I went through that with you, I saw how healing it was for so many of the people in the group. And because I am a teacher, I had always wanted to kind of do a writing workshop that wasn't for writers, just a space where you could write your feelings out. But I don't think I was ever ready until I went through my own grief journey. So yeah, it was after Heal that I started Down to Feel because I saw what you did and then I knew it was possible. I never wanted to do like a workshop online. I never felt like it could translate the same way a face-to-face thing could. But because you did it and you did it so well, my mindset was like... <laughs> Stop that! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my mindset was like, oh, siguro kaya. I think I can do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just wanted to create a space, especially that time, 2021. We're still in a pandemic, but at that time, the lockdowns were weird. It was like, you know, and then the freedom, not yeah. freedom, freedom, not and freedom. Then, yeah, and then all of these new strains were coming in. So I just wanted people to be able to talk about their experience and to not feel judged by the quality of their writing, to use writing as the tool to just speak whatever truth they had. So that's where that came from. And then... Yeah, later on, I did try doing it in person when things were better. It's been a really fun experience. I'm really grateful. I love it. There's this extra effectiveness, I guess, of having a space and talking to people. Because a lot of us feel like, I'm just going to go through my emotions on my own. I'm just going to work through it. I'm just going to write about it on my own. But there's not always something that pushes you in that direction. But when you have a group, you have these people, you get this pressure it's a good pressure because you're like oh they're watching me they're here for me they're supporting me i have to face this and that's why i love that because just saying down to feel is letting yourself feel things and we never let ourselves feel things at all so just in that i like i love it because we have to let ourselves feel human yeah right or feel things in general yeah i mean and and thank you for saying that this I, it was it was just something I really appreciated when we did heal as well that you know in as much as it was about kind of not fixing but like being aware of how you think of food how you consume food you gave a lot of space for people to like be in their feelings which I really appreciated uh, and it was so fun <laughs> thank you that's just a plug <laughs> we just plugged it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah that's true right it's really just a space for people to allow themselves like to heal and feel and everything else so with that where do you think you are in your journey right now i think that i'm definitely in a more stable place i don't feel lost anymore which is what i felt for most of 2020 and 2021 
I feel like I have come back to myself and I'm not who I was before my dad died. I'm getting to know this new version of me. I'm also getting to enjoy this new version of me. And I'm hopeful. I think I'm hopeful about life and and what is possible. And while I do still get nervous at the possibility of more losses to come, I am also so looking forward to all of these memories that I am going to be able to create with different people. Yes. And I love that you mentioned you're willing to connect with more people because I think what tends to happen when we lose somebody is we're like, I don't want to connect with anybody because I don't want to have the ability to lose them. Like it makes me so happy that you have this headspace of instead of letting it cut your ties from everybody, it's allowing you to connect with more people because you have a better appreciation for connection and people in general. Yeah. Thank you. Is there any message that you want to share to people who might be going through grief and trauma? Any message for them to help them go through it or something we usually don't talk about? I think in the area of grief, the thing I felt time and time again was that I was alone. And the people who helped me were the people who were so active in reminding me that I was alone. No one would ever feel the grief I was feeling. But that doesn't mean I wasn't loved. And that doesn't mean that people weren't going to try to meet me where I was. And so for anyone going through grief, you are not alone. I hope you have the courage to seek out the people who can sit with you. They'll never feel what you're feeling. They'll never know like the extent of your pain. But there are people who will hear you out. There are people who know how horrible loss can be. And there are people who will help you to heal and feel better. So yeah, you are not alone. Feeling lonely and being alone are two different things. And it's okay to feel lonely, but just know that you're not alone. Yes. And not in a scary way that they're like spirits. Anyways, thank you so much, Isa, for talking with us and sharing your experience. For everybody listening, where can they find you? I guess you can find me on Instagram. I don't have a lot of spaces anymore online, but Instagram, you can find me. I'm Isa Badisa. Yes, and hopefully she makes more of her down to feel so we can all feel together. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Isa. You're welcome anytime. And that is the 10th donut. We have almost filled a whole box. Thank you guys so much for listening because this episode is really close to my heart. I talked about things I usually don't talk about, like literally things I've never said to anybody before. And it was very therapeutic and helpful. So thank you so much, Isa, for being in this episode to unbox with us. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at It's Joe Sebastian, as well as TikTok also at It's Joe Sebastian. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joe Sebastian, and also follow the pod on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The Donut Box is an anima podcast podcast, so don't forget to follow them for the latest pods. Until the next episode, you guys, don't forget, you always deserve to eat.